are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Dolphins fans? Welcome to another episode of Power to the Pod here on Locked On Dolphins. It's your show. I'm merely just steering the ship. Uh, it, it's the Friday episode of Locked On Dolphins. For those of you tuning in on the podcast feed, it's always great to see you guys. Appreciate you guys carving some time out of your day to talk a little Miami Dolphins with yours truly, Kyle Krabs, and the host here on Locked On Dolphins, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, managing editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire, uh, director scouting of DraftNetwork.com, and excited to get back on the horse here. And that's kind of been the phrase that we've been using all week. Uh, we got power to the pod. We got some iTunes reviews. We're on the YouTube channel. Uh, if you were here watching live, hello, there's 20 something of you guys already, which is nuts to me. I just started. Uh, so make sure you're dropping your questions, hot takes, observations in the chat. We'll get to them after the iTunes reviews. Uh, if you're here on YouTube, you like YouTube. If you're not on YouTube, but you're interested in exploring YouTube, make sure you search the channel locked on dolphins, hit subscribe, like the video. Your comments are always greatly appreciated, and we are in a positive state of mind, okay? Nobody's going to sit here and pretend that the Dolphins are a perfect team, or that they're going to go 17-0 and they're going to win the Super Bowl. we got some issues to deal with for this team right now, but we are, like Bill Belichick said, on to Cincinnati back in the day. We're on to Las Vegas. We're leaving week two in week two. We talked about it in the first half of the week. I don't want any of these negative uh, Debbie Downer comments or anything like that. So want to hear what you guys think. Don't hold back. Let's just not, let's let's have a positive frame of mind here. It's Friday. It's a beautiful day. Uh, our first question from the iTunes reviews comes from FinFan927. So I have the five-star review, uh, which I am eternally grateful for. Kyle, love the show. I've been seeing, I've been good and been seeing good and bad for 30 years. So being real is a big deal for us Dolphins fans. Thank you for being real. I respect that. That being said, I love my fins, but this is what I've come to terms with as this franchise. This is an almost there franchise for the last 20 years. It's been almost there. Sure, we sneak in a good season here and there, but it's almost always almost there the season after. The inability to nail down a surefire quarterback or a solid offensive line is the one thing this team has never had since the turn of the millennium. By all means, tell me why or why not I'm right or wrong. I want to dive head first with this team. But games like this put the big picture in perspective. We can't beat playoff teams when we need to, just like every other almost their team. Sincerely, a growing old and tired Dolphins fan. Uh, well, no, I'm I'm 32. And I've seen... I became a Dolphins fan at the end of the Brian... Or at the end of the Dan Marino era. So I missed the boat on the glory days big time. And it's it, it, honestly the, the habitual plateau the Dolphins have hit is what pushed me into doing draft work. And, it, and it's now something that I, I do for a career in always looking for that player or players that's going to push the Dolphins over the top. So uh, I think you're, you're right. Uh, I think there's still information to be gathered about this current iteration of the team but you can't look at Austin Jackson and be enthusiastic about what his development looks like. You can't um, sit here and say that Tua Tagovailoa has had the things that he needs to to get a clear evaluation of whether it's right or wrong or fair to Tua or not to Tua. Uh, this organization probably is not going to show that level of patience when 2022 is going to be year four of the rebuild. 
So that that's kind of where I'm at with this team. I, I don't expect them to have a lot of patience, whether that means making a change in management, uh, assisting coaches yet again, if this season does not turn around. And, and obviously it's very early. There's 15 games left to be played. Uh, but unfortunately, Finfana, it's it, some of the same barriers that we've seen this Dolphins team hit from time to time. They reared their head on week two against Buffalo. And I think, and I talked with Joe Rose about this. There's a podcast tomorrow coming out with Joe Rose. It was a phenomenal conversation, as it always is with Joe. Uh, but we talked about how we're going to find out a lot about this Miami Dolphins football team in week three. And we'll see what week three brings. If they're not ready to play this weekend, whew, it's going to be an ugly week on the podcast next week. But we'll see. Uh, Dolphin Ray, five-star review. Thank you. Offensive line is appropriately named. It's time for Flores to make a statement. If it were me, release Jesse Davis and Jakeem Grant today, not tomorrow. Salary cap be damned. Also, I would give thought on firing uh, Coach Lem on the offensive line as it has apparently regressed. I believe this is a coaching and schematics issue. I believe this is a pivotal point for Coach Flores' tenure, and he needs to show this performance is unacceptable. Flores has to wrap his arms around this now before he lets the season spiral out of control. I am not being emotional. Am I wrong? Um, changes have to be made. Yeah, you, you can't do what you did last week and pretend like nothing happened. Oh, and, and I expect, you know, we, we heard the report from Barry Jackson early in the week that Solomon Kinley is expected to get pushed out of the starting lineup. Uh, I would not be surprised if left guard is the only player or only position on the line that has a new player in it uh, when we come to game day. Uh, I would not be surprised at all if there's not additional changes. Uh, as far as Jakeem Grant, yeah, I mean, his values apparently is a return guy, right? But it, it felt like they tried to move him. They didn't get value that they liked. And if, if, you know, obviously Will Fuller's personal issues were more important than playing football on Sunday. But at the same time, if Will Fuller plays, Jakeem Grant's probably not getting that rep in which he fumbles down inside the 10-yard line. So I'm not making excuses, and, and I agree. You know, if you, if you go back and listen to, you know, at the start of the offseason, a couple of the problematic players that we pointed out on this podcast were Jesse Davis, Jakeem Grant, you know, it's the usual suspects. And, and the limitations that these players have continues to be the limitations that they show, which is not a surprise because there's like a six-year sample size for both of these guys. So, um, no, I, I, I agree with you that this, this season and this juncture of this season and what buttons Brian Flores tries to push uh, is going to be really telling, and it, it's going to help formulate what this season looks like for the Dolphins. So we'll see what answers he comes up with. Uh, he's had a, a pretty good track record of this in the past, uh, but this is... Uh, this is a bit of a chemistry experiment right now where we're going to put new variables in and see what combusts and, and what clicks and, and creates a product that's going to facilitate better change for the Dolphins. Uh, but I agree that there is, should be a sense of urgency in the building to, to kind of figure some things out. MKD fan for life. Power to the pod, embarrassing loss. Still managed to hit five stars, though, so I appreciate that. Uh, embarrassing week, we had issues on both sides of the ball. Dolphins gave up 12 sacks. Our 12 hits, six sacks on the quarterbacks and injured two. Our defense got ran over. If you were Brian Flores, what would your speech be to the team after that shameful effort? Um, 
here's what I did is I got on with, with Joe Rose and I asked him, I said, Joe, you know, obviously Brian Flores likes to keep a lot of this conversation with his team in house and private. And Matt, I see your comment. I'm going to come to that comment. So make sure you stay tuned in. Um, But you did play for Don Shula. And I asked Joe Rose what the message was from Coach Shula to his team, his teams, when Joe was was there in the building from 80 to 85 or 86 or whatever it was. And just say, hey, you know, when you come off a bad, ugly loss, how did Don Shula handle those? And it was really cool hearing Joe go through what coach Shula, how coach Shula handled an ugly loss. And I don't want to spoil too much of what he said, because I'd rather you hear it from Joe and actually get the authentic experience. So that is a show that's also coming out on Friday. So you're getting two podcasts uh, on Friday. So make sure you check your podcast feed. But um, if the kind of messaging that Don Shula had to deliver to a team was effective, then, then, you know, anything that I would do, who was never, coached anything other than a volunteer uh, defensive line coach uh, for my local high school that I, that I used to play at when I was in college some 14 years ago. Well, if it works for Don Shula, that, that kind of messaging uh, I really liked and, and appreciated uh, what perspective Joe Rose gave to the Dolphins uh, as far as what that history shows. Uh, we have a couple more iTunes reviews, but I do want to address this one from Matt. Kyle I was kind of surprised and disappointed to hear you on yesterday's pod kind of give up on Tua just because Jesse Davis got his ribs crushed. I want to be clear about this because I got a couple of comments with something in line with this. I'm just saying predictively. The writing feels like, you know, these rumors have not gone away, right? And somebody within the organization who holds a lot of power, uh, has eyes on another quarterback. And when you when those decision makers sit down and go through the entire resume and the body of work, unless Tua comes back and plays to the potential that we think he's capable of playing, that resume is going to have missed time in each of his first two seasons with the team. You know, the, the play is not commensurate to what you were hoping you were getting as a top five team. And some of these circumstances extend beyond just Tua's fault. And I tried to communicate that yesterday. I'm not saying I don't think Tua Tungvaloa can't be a successful quarterback in the NFL. But I am saying this organization, with how long these rumors have persisted, Tua needed to really light this thing on fire. And whether it's fair to Tua or not, when they sit down and go through that resume, that this missed time is going to be on the resume. And for whoever wants this change to happen, they're going to point to that and they're going to direct attention to that and use that as an argument for their case. Again, I'm not saying I don't think Tua Tungvaloa can't be a successful quarterback. I think he needs patience and I think he needs uh, better balance and I think he needs to, to grow in certain ways and the offense needs to be better around him. But is this organization going to show the patience that would be required to get him to that point, I don't know if the answer is yes. And because these rumors continue to persist, that's kind of what I was trying to convey on the Thursday pod when I was talking about kind of the, the gut feeling here. 
Uh, so I hope that helps with that perspective because it, it's obviously a tough conversation. It, it's something that a lot of people have a lot of uh, thoughts and opinions on what the right move is to do. Um, but a lot of people, when the Dolphins drafted to a Tonga everybody had a lot of optimistic long-term view that involved to a Tonga uh, doing a lot of great things for the Dolphins. And um, th this story still has to play out, right? But um, uh, I I just worry about the patience that this organization is going to show. Uh, Patrick, hello. I see your comment. I'm going to get to you as well. Uh, we, we got a lot of great comments popping. So I'm seeing all the ones that you guys are dropping. I have two more iTunes reviews I want to make sure I get to as well, but not before we talk about my dear sweet friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like candy bar. These things are chef's kiss delish. Okay. They are, they, they go as quickly in my household when I open the wrapper as Jalen Waddle goes running a 40 yard dash. You know, I could probably put one down faster. Maybe we can make a bet. I don't know if Jalen ever listens to the show or not. Probably not. But if he does, Jalen, I'd love to bet you I can eat a built Bar faster than you can run a 40. Because they're that delicious. They're high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar. They've got 100% chocolate on all their bars, nine different delicious flavors to choose from. And right now you can visit BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% off your next order of the world's most delicious protein bar. All right. Uh, next iTunes review comes from our friend Tanner with a five-star review. Thank you for stopping in. Uh, first of all, I would like to apologize. It took me so long to leave a five-star review. I don't care when you drop them. You drop them, you're like I'm ingratiated to you. Second of all, I love studying, uh, listening to the podcast while I'm driving, studying, getting hyped up for game day or celebrating victory Monday. I appreciate the amount of work that you put into the show. If I had to come up with a question for power to the pot, it would be how much of an impact do you think Will Fuller will be able to make given the limited amount of time the offensive line gives our quarterbacks? This is a good question. And it certainly uh, is something that, that bears consideration, but I'll say this. Will Fuller proved in 2020 that he was not just a deep speed receiver. He's a really good route runner. And, and I think the perception of him based on his time at Notre Dame and the fact that he's a 4-3 guy and he runs you know, successful deep routes down the field and he's really good tracking the football, uh, the perception of Will Fuller is that he's only a home run hitter. Will Fuller stepped into the DeAndre Hopkins role in the Houston Texans offense last year, and he thrived in that role. Um, it's really something that that I think he can win in all levels and all phases. Uh, is he somebody who's going to play with a lot of play strength and run through traffic? Probably not. But you get him on option routes and you get him on the outside. And as long as that chemistry and timing and they're seeing the field is the same, there's going to be opportunities to make plays, even if it's not, hey, we're going to hold the ball, max protect it, and gear up for three, three and a quarter seconds to push the ball down the field in a deep shot. I think he's got a reasonable chance. Houston, 4155. Dolphins make me cry. Five-star review, though. Thoughts on Jalen Phillips and his lack of productivity so far. Can't really seem to wrap my head around this pick. Um, obviously, you, you would want to see, and this is another thing that Joe Rose and I talked about uh, for the show that you guys are going to hear later this week, uh, about rookies in Miami hitting the ground running. Um, 
I think they've had some success, but not with first round picks in doing that. Uh, uh, I think if Miami probably ran a more organic rush structure and was less predicated on stunts and twists and manufactured pressures, uh, Phillips would probably have a little bit more success. Now he's not consistently framing his rushes the way that you would like to see him and attacking half a man with consistency, but he's also not being given too many opportunities to just win with speed off the edge and then convert to power. So I know we all want draft picks to come in and hit the ground running. And I understand that draft selections are made. And look, if, if we get to this point next year and Jalen Phillips is, is performing the way that he is, I'm going to get it. And I'm going to understand the questions, but he's played in a couple preseason games and his pass rush uh, pressure rate was equal or better than that of Emmanuel Agba across 16 games last year in the preseason on very limited rushes. He's played 40 defensive snaps. He's rushed the passer 28 times. He has two pressures on 28 rushes. He's doing okay. It's just he he's really not mm, he's not getting the kind of reps that would allow him to play the full course of a game, get into a rhythm, and then create some chaos. So uh I would would say for Jalen, you know, let's let's see what you know. Raquan Davis didn't really make the leap until the Rams game, right? So let's at least see what October looks like for Jalen Phillips before we start pushing the worry button that his rookie production and his standing with the team isn't where we needed it to be in year one. Last iTunes review question comes from Fins Up W with a Z. Kyle, appreciate the level head after week two blowout. I think some of us needed a level head because I know mine was hanging after seeing that. I could understand a loss, but I would have liked to have seen us at least compete, especially in a year with so much hope as a Dolphins fan that we had not had in a long time. With the RPO scheme that we run our offense, uh, is it that leaving a lot of our linemen out to dry with the inexperience? I understand it seems like sometimes they are missing blocks because of the scheme when they should really be trying to do their job but could it be too much? And is the RPO maybe not built for the pro level? I think that's absolutely true. Uh, and, and it's been alluded to on the podcast a couple of times. RPO is a really valuable piece of the puzzle, but it can't be your identity as a team. It can't be. Um, because, for example, I think of the, the very first play, and I know I alluded to it earlier in the week, uh, they ran a deep post with Jalen Waddle on an RPO on the first play of the game. But if your offensive line is blocking run you can't throw the deep post rpo passing game is a lot of shallow and intermediate type stuff because the offensive line by design is blocking the run i know the michael Dieter rep was was one that kind of everybody gravitated towards and oh you know he, he didn't touch the the defensive tackle well yeah he's trying to reach block a one tech and get outside of him to execute his his stretch read uh and the defensive tackle slants back across but the left guard's nowhere to be found because he's locked on the backside because they were getting backside pressure. So it, it it's tough to, to win that way with consistency. And that's why, you know, at the beginning of the week, I said I wanted to see this team get back into traditional run fits and uh, traditional passing protection concepts, whether it's four-man slide or full slide or man-on-man or gap or whatever that looks like. Uh, I think more traditional... If you're going to pass, block for pass. That's going to help. Um, that does it for iTunes reviews of the show. Appreciate everybody who left a review of the show. Uh, appreciate everybody in the comments. We are popping off right now. So let, let's go ahead and 
and get this thing started. Uh, here's the, the comment from Matt that I had tackled a little earlier. Uh, Patrick, Kyle, do you think sitting Kindley, if true, indicates more of the same this weekend as last weekend, RPO's core concept? Um, not necessarily. Uh, I do think the fact that they're reportedly moving to sit Kinley, uh, that communicates to me that there must have been some communication lapses and issues there. And we all know we all know Solomon Kinley's limitations, right? He's such a big body, he takes up a lot of space, but the mobility and ability to get out into the second level and space on screen game and stuff like that, like that doesn't really exist with him. Um, I also think about, you know, and, and I don't expect them to play musical chairs on a weekly basis based on matchups, but against a Raiders team in which everybody's 280 pounds or less up front effectively, uh, they win with quickness. And if you are heavy footed and, and really can't slide and get a half body in front of a guy who's trying to shoot a gap across your face, you're going to get tested with speed all day. And if your feet don't have the mobility to, to kind of slide and move, uh, you run the risk of not sustaining blocks or twisting off. And as soon as your shoulders get this way, you're dead in the water as an offensive line, right? So uh, I would expect that the Kinley change is indicative of wanting a little bit more athleticism up front and because they trend so much towards power with their offensive linemen. I don't think they would feel like taking Kinley out is going to compromise a lot depending on who's playing the other spots. So no, I don't think that's necessarily true that it indicates RPO, but it is something that I'm fascinated to see what the ratio is here in week three. Uh, let's see. Next question from ghost of Adam Gase. Kyle, you have to give up one thing for the rest of your life. What is it? Built bars or Miami Dolphins football? I'm I'm not going to give up on the Dolphins, man. Because when when they do get it right, it's going to feel so good that we stuck through it all and we made it. Um, I will secretly be stealing Bill Bars from somewhere else, though, or at least sending them my my patronage and, and having them send me blank packaged Bill Bars so no one can prove that it's a Bill Bar. Good question, though. Fins93, uh, you think the Lions would trade Taylor Decker? This has been a popular name all week as Dolphins fans kind of a lot of thoughts racing through their heads. How can we fix this team? What are we going to do to get the offensive line right? If they're willing to have that conversation, I think Taylor Decker's the right style of player that would make a lot of sense for Miami. And, and um, Detroit has a significant amount of money invested in the offensive lineman. They, Detroit has, if my memory serves me correctly, they're committed to over $50 million in cash against the 2022 salary, not cap, cash, like $50 million in cash to their offensive line in 2022, next year already. And that includes Taylor Decker at this point. So um, I think that'd be an interesting name. As far as the price, uh, it's probably a two plus. Uh, he's a pretty solid player when he's healthy. Um, so... Oh, if, you, if that's a price that you, you want to entertain, if if you think uh, a stable tackle is the difference between this team being a Super Bowl contender or not, and you want to pay that price, you know, and, and that's probably a reasonable place to start. Uh, would I trade for Taylor Decker? 
I'd probably try to get at least a little stingy with him. Can I give you three and a player or something like if I can give you three and a player, then let, let's talk. We'll talk business. Wonder does, does Preston Williams have any interest to you? Uh, based on the fact that uh, they've got Quintez Cephas out there as their number one wide receiver. And I liked Quintez Cephas as much as the next guy coming out of Wisconsin as a, a wide receiver prospect. But Detroit just has nothing at wide receiver. So I think that's a, a conversation that you could potentially start with the Lions and see if it gets you anywhere. Listen, guys, the, the NFL season is only two weeks old. We, we talk about how young the season is. Uh, but there is still plenty of time for you to set up a custom survivor, pick them, squares, confidence pool, you name it, courtesy of our friends at runyourpool.com. I got a couple of Dolphins, buddy, we're doing a survivor pool, which I really like because you get to shoot your shot. And I never pick the Dolphins because I would hate for the same team to let me down twice in the same weekend. Uh, so we're just, we're still doing okay on that front now. Uh, but even if this survivor pool busted, you know, for Survivor Leagues, uh, you can revive your pool uh, for a discounted rate at runyourpool.com as well. You can check them out today and get $10 off at runyourpool.com slash locked on or use promo code locked on at checkout. Anywhere, everywhere in the world, Run Your Pool helps friends and colleagues compete. Don't miss out. The NFL season is off to an exciting start. So go to runyourpool.com slash locked on and have your pool up and running in just minutes. We're back and better than ever with our friends at Bet Online this year as well. Bet Online is your number one spot for all of your college and NFL football betting action this season with a new updated site and interface with even more odds, props, and contests. BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code NFL100. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's dig into the questions, please. What else have you provided me in the comments? I got a lot of catching up to do, but you guys have uh, brought some heat already. Here's one from Ryan Smith. Got to be honest. What's the point in drafting a dude with a high floor in Liam and not play him at his natural position, especially since Austin Jackson decides to block with one hand half the time? Okay, so I'm glad you mentioned this because I do think uh, Jacob, who commented immediately afterwards, um, mentioning it appears as though Miami might go 0 for 3 with their first round picks in 2021 or 2020. Uh, that was obviously the Tua, Noah, Austin Jackson year. I do think it is important to note that Miami did make a departure from their traditional thresholds with offensive linemen, with the drafting of Liam Eikenberg. Uh, and their intention was to play him onto his blind side at right tackle. Well, then obviously Solomon Kinley shows up. They're not happy with his conditioning. So they flip him over there to push Solomon Kinley and potentially get him to start. And then he comes back over, but he's missed two weeks of time. So now he's behind the eight ball at right tackle. And, and we'll see, you know, Liam's name has been connected to potential changes on the offensive line this, this week. And I think it would be unacceptable to make changes and Liam Eikenberg not be a starter. I think it was unacceptable for him to not be a starter after what he showed in week one, if we're being completely honest. I don't know what the evaluation looks like. I know this this team is traditionally very slow play with their rookies and wean you in. Uh, but as you said, Ryan, this is this was a high floor player. You know, he's not gonna over he's not the athlete that Penny Sewell was. 
but everybody's turning their nose up to the Dolphins' offensive line because they didn't draft Penny Sewell this week. Well, Liam Eikenberg's a really good player, and I thought he played very well against New England when he did play his natural position. So I don't know what their criteria looks like. I don't know what their evaluation process looks like, but it's something that's crossed my mind. And I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, this this was a high floor player in Liga Meikenberg, and I think he was a solid prospect. I was a top 50 player. So as this chemistry experiment continues with the offensive line and the cross training and putting guys in different spots, we'll see, right? But like, I would not be surprised at the end of the day if we get to the end of the season and it's like, Wow, Liam was pretty good at left tackle. It's kind of the same thing as, as Robert Hunt last year, right? Like, Robert Hunt was fine at right tackle last year. They ran the ball very successfully behind him, and he wasn't egregious in pass pro. If you worked on his technique at his natural spot, he probably would have been fine there, but they were intent to move him inside. They think the ceiling's higher inside. I don't know what it's going to look like. Jacob, I am going to put this up here. Um, but it's, I'm not going to talk about Deshaun Watson. Uh, I am going to talk about what you mentioned about the Rams though, because I think this is an important distinguishment to make. And, you know, the, the longer I've been in the draft industry, um, the more conflicted I've been on this front. Uh, so oh, Jacob mentions, uh, the potential of, would it not make sense to trade three first round picks for a known commodity at the NFL level? The Rams haven't had a first round pick in years. <sighs> I kind of can get on board with the, it's all life cycle based, I think is the important distinguishment to make. And every team is at a different point in their own building process. And sometimes they lie to themselves and tell themselves they're nothing, something that they're not. And the dolphins for the vast majority of the 2010s did that. And we're three players away. Let's sign an over the hill interior offensive lineman, uh, a big money free agent to play on defense. And we're going to draft somebody high and expect them to be a plug and play starter. And we're going to hope for the best but you didn't really address the like the core root issues on the roster. Whatever happens with this rebuild, the Dolphins did address the core issues on the roster, and I think they do have a solid foundation, even if they didn't bat 1,000, and even if players that we needed to see take a big step forward for them to become a legitimate playoff contender, don't make that jump. This team is still in a better spot than what they were in February of 2019, right? But now that they're in the spot that they're in, if we're going to sit here and be honest, and it's like, well, we've got a blind spot here. You're going to be honest about self-evaluate yourself as talent evaluators too. And if you're sitting here and you're crushing on day two, which I think they are crushing on day two with Raekwon Davis and what he brings to the table. And I do think Robert Hunt's going to be really good at interior offensive lineman for the Miami Dolphins. And if not, put him back at tackle, please. Let's see what he does at tackle. And then this year's Javon Holland and Lee Meikenberg, who I think is a high floor player, can be a really reliable star. Like you're crushing your second round picks. Okay, so trade your one for an unknown commodity, know what you're getting, and just say, hey, because we have established the cap space to you know, take on a second contract. And again, I'm not saying this specifically for Deshaun Watson, for anybody who's joining in. I'm just saying this ideology of trading ones for established players at the NFL level might be something the Dolphins want to consider at this point. So that, that was not the ideology that we had when we started the rebuild, but it's something that needs to be considered depending on, uh, obviously very much depending on how Jalen Phillips and Jalen Waddell progress throughout the course of this season as well. 
And if the season goes south, you know, there might be a different decision makers responsible for those things. And that goes back to the parallel that we talked about on Thursday with the Browns with Sashi Brown. And then John Dorsey comes in and takes advantage of extra assets and goes out and makes a bunch of noise. He flubs the coaching hire. So then he's out. Uh, but the Browns now today have one of the three best rosters in the NFL. There's definitely something worth considering. Uh, Chris, shout out to you, the real MVP of the show. I confess I've ordered far too many boxes of built Bars already. There's no such thing, my friend. Please don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to the people either. Uh, let's see. Next comment is going to come in from uh, Chris. Kyle, do you think it's time to scrap this RPO offense of system? Uh, seems like we've been trying to build this since coach Saban. I don't think it's time to scrap it, but you, you do need to kind of put your foot on the gas in other areas of offense that can overlap with that. So things are complementary to each other. I just went back and rewatched this, this game script, uh, coaching lecture from Mike Gundy, who, uh, of course, ironically runs an air raid offense in the big 12 and talks a lot about, uh, running RPOs, right? But what he talked about was identifying your core principles based on what the talent that you have on any given year is capable of running, right? And I really enjoyed listening to Coach Gundy talk about this. He said, ask for five core run principles. And then off of each one of those, I want to have a counterplay, a run, a counterplay, a play action pass, an RPO, and a naked concept. So that off that core principle, if you've got five of them, you've got five plays that spiderweb off of that. So you've got 25 plays at your disposal just based off your core principles, and then you've got your specials and your third and shorts, your third and longs, your red zone package, et cetera. And like, I don't know that Miami has fully built that menu out yet. So like, let's get something out of another chapter of the book and start working on it, and then we'll see what where that goes. Uh, sports betting weekly rock auto is a candy bar that tastes like a tire. You know, that's not bad. I might borrow that if you don't mind. <laughs> um, what are the questions do you guys have? I want to take a couple more here uh, before we wrap this thing up. I did skip a, a medium chunk. Uh, yeah. Ghost just realized Kyle has a Jalen Waddle helmet in the background. So one of the things that I do do is do do like the Dolphins offensive line playing week two. Um, one of the things that I do is when I travel to games for scouting is I'll always get a bit of memorabilia uh, from that venue. And when I went to Bryant Denny, uh, it was LSU, Alabama, Joe Burrow versus Tua. And that was just such an unbelievable environment. Uh, I had to get a helmet. And obviously Waddle had a punt return in that game. Uh, I selfishly just bought an Alabama replica helmet, but it just so happened to come with 17. And then the Dolphins drafted Waddle like a year later. So it was pretty cool. Let's see. You. Has the good comment here as we get ready to close down. I think Brissett can beat, win, and beat the Raiders, Colts, and Jags. I'm willing to let Sua sit until Tua sit until the Falcons game. What say you? It's a good question, too. Um, I think 
Jacoby Brissett and the Raiders fans who trickled in on the Wednesday stream and left a bunch of mean, nasty, rude comments about how I just sound just like Ravens and Steelers fans because I'm saying that the Dolphins have a fighting chance against the Raiders. Come on, guys. You're not the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Relax. I didn't even say on the stream on Wednesday that I thought the Dolphins weren't going to win the game. I said that on the Thursday show instead. I agree that those are winnable games for Miami based on the fact that the Dolphins coaching staff coaches each individual game in a vacuum, right? There's a game script involved. I think if you look at offensively, those three teams, Raiders, Colts, Jacks, Raiders are obviously putting points on the board right now, but their strengths really align with what the Dolphins do well as well. Their offensive line has some issues. Josh Jacobs might not play in this football game. Richie Incognito is not expected to play in the football game. Like, There's enough there that you could build a case and say, yeah, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that Miami beats the Raiders. Colts, Carson Wentz, not at practice on Thursday at all, dealing with two sprained ankles simultaneously. They don't really threaten you outside on, with their wide receivers at all. And if they're, they got Jacob Eason potentially or uh, Brett Hundley is the starting quarterback in, in week four, with Miami at home, with them being an, a dome team that plays indoors, yes, I think that's a perfectly winnable game. Tampa, that game script's going to get ugly. I'm going to be real honest with you guys. If Buffalo kicked our ass, I don't know exactly what you're going to do to contend with Tampa. Doesn't matter who's the quarterback. Uh, and, and then Jacksonville, yes, you should theoretically beat Jacksonville. Urban Meyer just talked to Vic Fangio after week two and said, wow, coaching every team in the NFL is like coaching against Alabama every week. Yeah, welcome to the NFL, Urban. Um. I don't think they should be in a rush to irresponsibly push Tua back into the game, personally. Um, I, I do think uh, Jacoby Brissett, if, if they find the renewed energy to run the ball, they're going to have a harder time running the ball against the Colts than they will against the Raiders. And if they can't run the ball against the Raiders, then can we just sim to the end of the season? Like, honestly. And that's not meant to be disrespectful to the Las Vegas Raiders, but it is meant to acknowledge you have a massive size advantage there. Massive size advantage there. Your offense is hurting to find an identity. So go out and use that size and, and run the ball right at them. All right, Jeff, can you do a segment and really break down what an RPO play is? Most don't really know how many options there is off one play call. Might help with all the haters. I don't mind the haters. I don't mind all the guys on Twitter who don't want to have a conversation and just decide that they know better than you, despite something that conflicts with what they see on that given play. But effectively RPOs are, there's different layers to it, but RPOs are plays that are designed to allow the quarterback to make a decision based on isolating a single defender and what he does after the snap. So run pass option. The play call is a run, right? And a lot of times it's zone read. And I think one of the challenges with zone read is you look at the teams that have electric results with the zone read portion and those quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, are more dynamic athletes than Tua Tonga Law. I'm not saying Tua is a bad athlete, but I don't think he as a runner is a threat where if I'm going to leave the defensive end unblocked to try to pick up an extra body between the tackles, to block up onto the linebackers, but you can't go too far too quick in case the quarterback pulls and keeps it, right? But if I leave the end man on the line of scrimmage unblocked and I ride the mesh point and I read that defensive end and he crashes 
I pull the ball and keep it. Well, the Dolphins don't really do a lot of that because two is not a threat as a runner. You know, go back to the Chargers game last year, and obviously he was, you know, recovering from the hip and so on and so forth, but I don't think he's, even at 100% health, really going to threaten you on the edge against NFL defensive ends with consistency. Uh, so you ride that mesh point, and you make that read based on if that defensive end collapses, in which case you pull the ball and you get outside of him and, and get on the move, or if he stays square and holds outside contain on you, well, then he's accounted for in the run surface without even touching him with a blocker. And that blocker who would typically block him is climbing up to block somebody else in the box. So you've picked up a blocker in the box, and if he stays outside, you give the ball, and it's a run. Miami doesn't have a lot of success with threatening on that. So instead, what they're doing is they're running RPOs that your reduced surface area of blockers, you know, five, six men, depending on if you have that tight end that likes to slice in and insert and split flow zone or whatever. Uh, they try to run with six men. And what they do is they do either slant bubble or a now screen, which is the receiver takes his at the snap, just turns to the quarterback if they're playing soft off coverage and you give the quarterback an opportunity to diagnose in the pre-snap. Okay. I'm perceiving soft zone coverage. I can throw the bubble because they're playing off and this hook curl defender is going to be held when I hold the ball out to the mesh. And if he freezes and doesn't run with the bubble, then the slant is going to set up to block him and I get the bubble out. And then the guy who's got to tackle him is 10 yards off the ball. Right? So schematically it makes a lot of sense, but if you just do it, you're exposing your quarterback to a lot of free runs when the offensive line is blocking run and he decides to pull it, and he's not a threat to run the ball. And I think that's kind of the, the juncture that Miami is finding themselves at right now. Obviously, it would be easier if I could draw it up on the board and whatever and, and kind of showcase that kind of stuff, but there's a lot of great resources out there, and if you guys need them, uh, feel free to tweet Locked on Fins, and I'll be more than happy to send you some dynamics of RPOs. So that's going to do it for us on the live stream. We obviously went a little long today, but it's it's Thursday night. We're getting ready to go to happy hour, so... Um, I got to run upstairs. I got to make dinner. got to put my little one to bed. Uh, she's still wearing dolphins onesies. The faith is still well alive in this household. Uh, and at the end of the day, we're going to root for this team to be successful. And I, we think we all want that. And that's why all of you who are here on the YouTube stream, and there's still a bunch of you. And I thank you for tuning in, um, are here because that we want this team to have success. So fins up, keep it locked in right here on locked on dolphins. Make sure you hit like or subscribe on the YouTube channel or the podcast feed, however you choose to consume Locked on Dolphins. I thank you for doing so. Have a great night. Fins up. Make sure you come back and check your podcast feed for the interview with Joe Rose, which is a phenomenal conversation as well tomorrow.